Prepping for our VBACs often brings more prep for birth than postpartum. But mamas, it's important to prep for the next chapter as well. I know, it's a lot. If you ever find yourself wondering what pump you should get for your postpartum experience, or if you should even get one at all, check out our friends over at the Lactation Network. They have an easy and free four-step quiz that can help narrow down what pumps may be best for you and even check which ones will be covered by your insurance. Whether you're wanting to pump occasionally or exclusively, sitting down or on the go like I did, check them out at lactationnetwork.com and they will help you find the perfect pump for you. Again, that is thelactationnetwork.com or find the link in the show notes. Hello, hello. Welcome to the VBAC link. You guys, this is my first episode back from taking a really big break through the summer. You guys have still had episodes, but I recorded up through May, right before my kids went to school and then took the summer off so I could have fun and spend time with them. Um, I've got a middle schooler that went back to school today, very first time to middle school, and it was a bittersweet. Um, and then I've got a fourth grader and a second grader. So they're back to school today. And I figured, all right, let's get back to recording. And we have our friend Rebecca with us. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for being here with us. Rebecca is from Seattle, correct? The suburbs uh, of Seattle? Seattle Eastside, yeah. Eastside, yeah. And she's going to be sharing her VBAC story with us today. And her VBAC, we were just talking about this before we press record. It's a lot of things like we've got okay do you you want to name it or do you want me to go through it i can name it there is um so there's a late-term transfer to home birth with a sort of faux dual care Mm -hmm. um, that ended up not being dual care just before (laughs) i went into labor and pushing on my back and a posterior and asynclitic baby yes which right there posterior and asynclitic those two together are like whoa it's, it's awesome because a lot of the times that's one of the reasons for a C-section is asynclitic or posterior. But when we have an asynclitic posterior baby, that definitely adds some some things. So I'm excited for you to be sharing your story with us today. And she, okay, so her name is Rebecca, but do you like to go by Becky? Yeah, actually, you can call me Becky. That's okay, right. yeah, Becky. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna say as, as I was reading through your form, I remember seeing Becky. Um, so yeah, Becky's a music teacher. She, from like little babies to all the way to my oldest middle schooler age. And she's doing, let's say you do voice and music together and composing and all the things. And so music is definitely really, really, you know, close to your heart. And I love that in your, um, your little bio thing that you gave me, you talked about singing in your C-section, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how healing that was. Yeah, I think that's really important that it's just like an idea for somebody to have if it works for you, because it definitely was very helpful for me. Yeah, I love that. Well, I can't wait to hear your story and and more of the things that help. I think sometimes, too, when we have, you know, unplanned C-sections, there's always or even if, you know, we're preparing for a VBAC, but we maybe go in for a C-section. It's always nice to have some of those tips to kind of say, okay, I could try this and see if this helps me stay calm or brings me peace. Mm -hmm. Um, Awesome. Well, we have a review of the week as always, and then we will get into Becky's story. This is from Postpartum Mama on Apple Podcasts, and it says, a surprisingly invaluable postpartum resource, which I love that because we're not a postpartum 
podcast, right? But there's a lot. I mean, we were just even talking about it just two seconds ago, things that we can do during our birth to help it be a better experience. And when it's a better experience, it helps with our postpartum experience. So she says, once again, I found myself listening to episode after episode of this podcast. It is truly an invaluable resource for anyone preparing for birth or healing from a traumatic birth. Julie and Megan approach topics that are often hard to discuss, and they do so without judgment, creating a community of acceptance during a season of life that can often feel alienating and lonely. And that just gave me the chills. She is not wrong. This this journey can sometimes feel so lonely. I know I felt lonely during my experience prepping for my VBAC. It says, I listened to this podcast while preparing for my VBAC. And although my VBAC was successful, it was also traumatic. Now, six months postpartum, I'm listening to each and every every episode again. And in doing so, I'm processing my second traumatic birth experience at my speed. It's helping me mentally and emotionally heal from everything that happened and lessening my fear of childbirth. Thank you, Julia and Megan, for, oh, I just, I just lost it. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I moved it. Thank you, Julia and Megan, for dedicating your time and energy to educating women in such an approachable way. I cannot recommend your podcast enough. Wow. Postpartum mama, this was back in 2021. So a couple years ago, and that just makes me feel so happy. I don't think we've ever had a review that's talked about how it's truly helped them in the postpartum stage. So I love hearing that. And I love that she also talked about she had her VBAC, but it it wasn't necessarily, you know, all sunshine and butterfly. It, it had some trauma involved. And I think it's important to talk about that and and realize that, you know, all C-sections aren't traumatic and all VBACs aren't sunshine and butterflies. And Julie and I in the past have talked about that and uh, we recognize that. And I hope that postpartum mama, that you've found your recovery and that uh, maybe you're still with us today and you're listening to your review, but I hope that, yeah, you have found that peace and recovery through your postpartum journey. And as always, if you want to leave us a review, we never reject a review. You can um, leave it on any podcast platform. So thank you so much. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Becky. Again, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Yes. Um, so just jump in, I guess. Yeah. Just jump right in wherever you feel that you want to start. Okay, well, so I'll start with the C-section. Um, I was in New York at the time, and I felt very committed to having a, a vaginal unmedicated birth. And so I was with a, a midwife practice. It was three midwives who had uh, birthing privileges, I guess is the term, at a hospital in Midtown. Mm -hmm. um, and everything was 
fairly normal and healthy with my pregnancy. And I got to like 41 weeks and they asked if I wanted a, a membrane sweep. And I said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. So two days after the membrane sweep, I think I lost my mucus plug or something. And then like two days after that, we had gone to a restaurant in the evening and we were walking back to our apartment and I started to feel low cramping, which I now know is contractions. At the time, I didn't know. I feel like nobody tells you that it feels like cramps, but it does. Yeah. And that's how it can. It can start just like little period cramps or even like you maybe feel like you have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, you know, bowel cramps. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, bowel cramps comes later. <laughs> right. Uh, Post to your babies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we we got back and I was like kind of keeping an eye out for the timing. And I saw that they were very irregular and I knew enough to know that that kind of hinted towards a posterior baby, but I was like, whatever, we're, we're good. You know, the midwives said, you know, try to get some sleep. And it's not that it was so uncomfortable at that point, I couldn't sleep, but it's just, you know, it's happening, it's exciting. So I really didn't sleep. My husband really didn't really sleep much either. We called the doula, she came around like 5 a.m. or something like that. And I started to feel like pushy. And I knew that that is also a, a symptom of a posterior baby, but also my mom had had quick labors. So I was like, mm, I don't know. So, and also it was like a Monday morning. So we decided let's drive to the hospital because it was in Midtown. And when we got there, I was only like three centimeters. So uh, we went to a hotel nearby. We like got a hotel room for one night and uh, I labored there and things started to get intense there. I mostly liked the shower and actually my midwife, because she came to the hospital, but was then since I wasn't admitted, she was just kind of like waiting for me because she didn't have other patients at the hospital. So she actually came to the hotel room and did a, a check there Really? Um, yeah, to to see so that I could skip the um, triage, which, wow. which I hear is very unusual. She went above and beyond, um, and yeah. I was like seven or something at that point. Oh, oh I, wow! I skipped. I skipped when we got to triage originally. She had me. The midwife had me kind of lay on my back with my legs kind of hanging down. And what I have learned is like Walters. Walters. Yeah. yeah. At three centimeters, she did that. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think so. And then like after that, it was like the, the contraction stopped. It was like easy. Mm -hmm. I could walk again and everything felt fine. And I was like, this is three centimeters with a not posterior baby versus a posterior baby. It makes quite a big difference. But she went right back. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, so when we went back to the hospital, it was supposed to be intermittent monitoring, but, you know, I was moving a lot and with the movements I was doing, they couldn't get a clean 20 minute read. Mm -hmm. So she, the, the nurse was very nice. She kept trying to get it, but like it kept getting interrupted. So it was really continuous monitoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At a certain point, I started to feel like this is not happening i started to feel like like i couldn't do this and they were like you're doing it you're doing it and i was on my back and the midwife said why don't i try to direct pushing for you and she she said she could see the hair uh mm. but and like 
the energy in the room was like, you're doing it. And I felt like I am not. And, hmm. um, and then like the energy in the room shifted because the midwife felt the ear. <laughs> she mm -hmm. like, she felt the, the baby's ear and, sh and she said the baby was asynclitic. And from then on, it, it was like the, the contractions were so close together. I couldn't get rest in between. And um, like I had done some pushing that seemed to be doing something, but it, it, I, I, I was getting tired because of we hadn't slept. And I also hadn't eaten because I had thrown up what I tried to eat. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it was like everything. And eventually it was like back to back contractions. Somebody suggested, would you like to, to try an epidural? Mm. Um, although I was like wanting an unmedicated birth, I was like, yeah, I think I need to rest. I can't like, I could yeah. feel that I wasn't able to push anymore like that. Well, and if you have an asynclitic baby too, a lot of times we have to get baby kind of back up and reset. And sometimes that can be really hard unmedicated when you're so tired and, and time's been going. Like, it's nice to maybe get an epidural and let your positions and rest yeah. really allow that baby to try and reset. Yeah. Well, so I, I slept after I got the epidural. And then when I woke up, my husband later told me I was only asleep for like an hour, but it felt like I woke up and it was dark already. You know, like we had oh. gotten there in the morning. It was October, late October. So it wasn't that late, but it was probably like 530 or something. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, let's try pushing now. And I was like, um, what, what, what do I push and how, and also why? Like I, I didn't have any connection. I didn't understand how I could possibly push. And I was like, uh, is this it? And it was clear from their faces that like, no, it was no? not, it. <laughs> it was not it. And so like, I don't know, we kind of tried other things. But eventually the because of the continuous monitoring, they were they were getting the heart rate and it was starting to look not as good. It was like the situation where it was like, it's okay, but mm. the OBGYN on call might not be okay with this or whatever. Mm. And mm. um we could try Pitocin, but but the midwife was like, I don't know what Pitocin is gonna do for you because your contractions are already really close. Mm. And it's it could likely make the heart decelerations or worse. worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's like we could continue going as we're going, or we could start to talk about C-section. And at that point I was just like, yeah, I don't, we didn't see any other option. Like we didn't see any mm -hmm. other solution. Baby wasn't turning. And no, there was no, there was no turning. And yeah, I mean, yeah. So we got ready for the C-section. They gave me some anti-nausea medication. I was like, I already feel like I'm going to throw up. And they were like, it's okay, this will help. But then they gave me the medication and I immediately threw it up. <laughs> so they gave it intravenously. We went into the operating room and I asked them if I could sing during the surgery. Um, and the reason for this was I had had another like weird medical situation where my husband actually suggested singing and because I was like breathing so shallowly and I was so anxious mm -hmm. about it. 
And it really slowed down my breathing and just made me feel so much calmer. So I guess I don't, I don't think I had thought about it in advance, but once C-section became reality, I was like, I'm going to sing. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were like, yes, absolutely. And, and the, the energy in the room was sort of like, it felt like it was a party. Like everybody knew each other. They liked working together. And they were like, now our patient is singing for us. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, the C-section was really quick. I did not feel that way. I did not feel like a party, but I was like, this is calming myself. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah. She came out pretty quick and she cried very quickly. But I guess after the fact, it was not a gentle cesarean because, you know, all the things they, she was kind of off in the corner for a long time and, mm. you know, her APGAR scores were good. She was healthy. And I was very thankful that I was singing that like she could hear my voice. Um, yeah. But it, it felt like a long, long time before she, you know, came on to my chest and, you know, even when she did come onto my chest, the feeling was sort of like fear and like, um, hi, how are you? Who are you? What? <laughs> you um, know, and a little bit of a disconnect. Yes, I, I didn't feel, you know, the part of the reason I had wanted an unmedicated birth was I, I was excited and interested in the sort of hormone, hormone cocktail, you know, that they talk about. And this was certainly not that. But, you know, we, we went into the recovery room and the midwife and the doula were with us and they, they were like, do you want to try breastfeeding? And I was like, oh, I had, I had like prepared for like the breast crawl. I had like prepared for all the like natural mm. things. So I, I did not know how to do it. <laughs> like I didn't know how to do it. And so I was like, okay, go baby. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she did not know how to do it and so she did not latch and like the midwife helped me but she didn't latch and then she was getting sleepy and so it was like okay we'll we'll try it later mm -hmm. then they they were you know a nurse or something said oh we got to take the baby for some regular checks of some kind so they took the baby the midwife and the doula left and my husband and i were kind of there in this room and there were other people in this recovery room and it started to be again, like a long time without my baby who had just exited my body. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? And I, I really felt like screaming. Like I, I felt like screaming, like a crazy person, like, where's my baby? <laughs> yeah. You like know? an anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I, and what stopped me was there were other people in the room and I was afraid of scaring them, <laughs> you know? Oh, and yeah. that also feels kind of not good that I was like not free, but also mm -hmm. good that I wasn't screaming like a crazy person. But so I had my husband go find her and she was just kind of like chilling out with a nurse. They were just waiting for my room to be ready. So it was just sort of like a logistical thing that they were like, oh, her room's not ready. They're going to wheel her in. We'll just wheel the baby straight to the room with her. So the, the reason what for about the separation, just her with her. <laughs> yeah. There was no reason for the separation other than eh, that was the reason. Mm. Breastfeeding was very difficult. She did not lash. I did not have good lactation support at the hospital. And all the people who came around were like, 
no tongue tie, no lip tie. Spoiler alert, she had a tongue and lip tie. The, the breastfeeding has a happy ending. We got the tongue tie and lip tie revision and she latched by like two weeks. So we had to do triple feeding. That was rough, but um, mm -hmm. she was breastfeeding by, by, by the time she was two weeks and I breastfed her until she was two. Like, you know, by then she was only doing it like at night, but that has a happy ending. But I did have a post-traumatic stress disorder, really not even from the C-section, I don't think, but from that postpartum period and specifically from the separation. Mm -hmm. um, and I struggled actually with like saying that it was like traumatic because it's like, well, everybody was healthy and everything was fine. And mm. like, I was treated with respect. Like there was, there was no stories of, you know, mm -hmm. like doctors or nurses being like snarky to me or, or whatever, but it was just like the idea of being separated is still really sad at this point. Like now I can think of it, but, but for a long time at first, at first I would like ruminate on it. And then after a while, if my, my brain started to wander towards the topic, it would be like, no, 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 no. Let's go over here. Okay, think of something right different. Yeah. Yes. And, and I, it like, my brain wouldn't let me think about, you know, the postpartum time, but yeah. therapy's good. Highly recommend especially I went to the motherhood center. They have, they specialize in like, you know, pregnancy and postpartum things. Awesome. Anyway, when I, I had a lot of trouble listening to people's birth stories because like even friends, if they like share their story, it'd be like, Oh, and then, and then I was pushing and, and I was like, you didn't even do any of the things that I did. You know, like I, I felt like I had prepared so much for this. Yeah. And, and some people who had, you know, done no prep were just like, you know, yeah, going doing it. And so it was, it was very difficult for me to, to hear birth stories. And so what made me know that I felt ready for another baby was that I was interested in listening to the VBAC link. Aww. And I wanted to, you know, like test out the waters, see if listening to a birth story felt acceptable. You know, because mm -hmm. before it was like, no, I can't do this. And it did. And so, but I was like, I'm just going to stick to the VBAC link. That's like safe mm -hmm. because there's, you know, you know, I wanted to listen to repeat C-sections, to successful VBACs, to, to HBACs and, and all mm -hmm. that. But, but it felt comfortable to listen to them. And so I, I knew I was ready. Mm. Oh, that warms my heart. Yeah. No, it's it hard to feel, to know that that the VBAC link could be a safe space for you, you know, and it's not even yeah. like something you're going to, but you're listening, you're, you're willing to go in and you're listening and you're like, okay, I can do this. Like this makes all of these people, all of these women of strength that are telling their stories, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. they put power in your pocket. Yeah. Yes. And it, it just, it felt good to listen to it. And yeah. And now you're one of them. And now I'm one of them. It, <laughs> it, it, it's so, it's so surreal to be telling the story, especially, and also to be like hearing your voice and seeing you. Cause I'm so accustomed to hearing your voice and I'm like, Oh, that's, 
That's what you oh, look like. That's what she looks like. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> a hot mess all the time. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Lactation Network, or as we call them, TLN. I have three babies and three different breastfeeding experiences. After I got quote unquote mastered with my first daughter, I never thought about breastfeeding being difficult again. But when my second daughter was born, she was more than a pound smaller, developed torticollis from birth, and I found myself feeling stuck yet again, wondering who I could call and get help from. My babies like to come on the weekends, so once again, I didn't have an IBCLC available. So I reached out to one locally. She was amazing, but man, she was super spendy. I told my husband it was so worth it, but I didn't understand why IBCLCs were not covered by insurance. After all, we are feeding humans. I'm pretty sure that's a big deal. Well, guess what? Because of TLN, you can get breastfeeding help by IBCLCs and have it covered by your insurance. It's amazing, and I truly feel like the whole birth world needs to know it. I honestly suggest all expecting parents plan ahead if possible. Get a free consultation today at tln.care slash VBAC, or you can click the link in the show notes. So uh, we had moved to the Seattle area during the pandemic, and I felt strongly that I wanted a birth center birth because I was like at the hospital, you know, first of all, I didn't get the lactation support that I wanted. And then you were there kind of like trapped, I felt. And I was like, let's do a birth center because it'll be a little bit more like higher chances of VBAC, but also you still have, you know, more medical support of some kind. But I quickly learned after reaching out to the birth centers that in Washington state, birth centers cannot do VBACs unless they are a birth center attached to a hospital. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, do I want to look into home birth? Like it felt like that was two notches of crunchy granola beyond where I am. Like I'm, I'm fairly crunchy granola, but I, I felt like that was just a little bit beyond there. And I, I actually interviewed a home birth midwife and it was sort of like, the way she put it was like, if this happens, you go to the hospital. If this happens, you go to the hospital. If this happens, you go to the hospital. And I, I sort of felt like there was now an additional set of policies that you uh-huh. have to meet. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the reason I was interested in not hospital was I was not interested in being sort of tied down by all the policies, right? Right. Right. So I was like, no, no, no. There was one birth center attached to a hospital like 20 minutes away. So I was like, all right, the decision is made. I'll go there. Mm-hmm. So I went there and it's really just like a hospital. Like you just go to a hospital and it's in yeah. a hospital. And yes, there are midwives. It's, but what, it's, like, it's similar to like what you had the first time. Yes. Similar to what I had the first time. It's just in a hospital. So I was like, all right, I guess like the midwives were nice. The nurses were nice. I was like, all right, this is, this is my only option. Uh So I was going and I got a really, really great doula who they recommended. And part of the the reason the doula was so great was, I mean, I guess all doulas do this maybe, but like she encourages you to like do video chats or calls in addition to the regular 
um, mm-hmm. the, re- mm-hmm. the regular meetups. And that, that was really good because it helped me to feel really close to her, like really yeah, personal. Um, yeah. Uh, like emotionally connected, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, things were going fine again, like perfectly normal pregnancy, except for that. I got COVID during it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hospital was a little bit conservative about, you know, then they want more checks. So mm-hmm. I was like, mm, all right, that's not great, but okay. And then at one uh, appointment, they were like, okay, and now you got to set up your appointment with the OBGYN. Just this is a, a VBAC consult. And it looks like the the doctor you're seeing, they're going to recommend not a VBAC. You can just ignore that, but she's going to recommend not a VBAC because your VBAC score is 69.5. And I know that that doctor only recommends it if your VBAC score is 70 or higher. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait, first of all, VBAC calculator, they're still using the VBAC calculator. And I, I even asked like, please tell me at least you're using the, the version that does not use race, like race, not the racist yeah. version. Then the updated version. Yes. And they were like, well, no, it, this one is the older version. And I was like, this hospital is so behind that they're even using the non-updated version, which is racist. And it just sort of was like a a wake up, wake up call. Like what policies am I going to be privy to in labor that I've not asked about because I was just like, this is my choice and they're midwives. So it's going to be good. But like, this is a hospital and there are policies and you are, you, you know, you have to abide by them or you have to like put up a fight and I'm not, my husband and I are both like not prepared for that kind of thing. We're like, just want to go with the flow. Well, and what makes me laugh is like, okay, okay, this might sound really rude. And I'm not trying to say this to shame anybody that uses the VBAC calculator. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But like, who in the hell pulls out a random number like that and is like, anything below this? No. Like, what? Like, like, And it's 1%? Oh, anyway. Anyway, yeah. I don't like the VBAC calculator. Again, not shaming anyone who uses it or chooses to. I personally don't like it. And I just don't love when they are telling people no based off of something that they personally came up with themselves. Yeah. Not something that evidence shows. Exactly. Exactly. So I was like, and I didn't even want to go to this appointment because like, I don't want somebody telling me, I don't think you should get a back. Like, I just didn't want that in the yeah. air. It's like, I know that I feel like I've done the research. Like, I know that it's, it's safe. I know, you, yeah. you know, like, th- let's not do this. Right. Well, and you're, you're, you've done the research and you're there making the choice to do that. You're yeah. looking for support and yes. it's not that they can't educate you along the way they should be yes. on both, on both ends. Exactly. Um, but they shouldn't be deterring you away based off of a made up number. Yes. Yes. So like I, I talked to my doula at length about it and she really recommended taking this because I was like, should I be considering like a home birth again? Like, like what, what, Mm -hmm. this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good anymore. And she was like, why don't you take this? There's a VBAC class with um, Sharon Musa that everybody had been recommending like across the board. 
She's, mm. she's local to the Seattle area. And so I was like, okay, like I kept hearing people recommending it. So I was like, let's, let's just do it. So I took this class and it was very helpful going into all the, you know, just, just the specifics about the risks and the benefits of everything. And like, what is mm -hmm. the risk? Like what, like, not like you should do this or you shouldn't do that, but this is the actual level of risk. It is comparable to XYZ. Mm -hmm. What are you comfortable with? What risk are you comfortable with taking? Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because it was put in such like plain terms. Mm -hmm. But I was also like, I know that even though this is like clearer to me now, but also what is the risk with home birth feedback versus in hospital feedback? Mm -hmm. And the truth is there just isn't data for that because not enough people have home births and not enough people have home birth VBACs. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, this is not helping my decision really. But she did recommend like look into the hospital VBAC uh, statistics. And I was like, well, how do you do that? I like, I tried to talk to the midwife about it. It's like, you, you can't really get like hard numbers. You can just like put it in Google. Like there, I forget what it was, but there was some outside source from Washington state or something. And it's probably the same in every state that gives a percentage of, of people who do VBACs in the hospital versus C-sections. So I looked at the hospital I was planning to go at and the percentage, I kid you not, was below 20% for VBAC. It was below 20%. And I was like, mm -hmm. this number has to be like, it has to be including people who are choosing to do a repeat C-section. Like it can't be that low. The national average is supposed to be like 60, 70% or even higher than that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I asked my doula about it and she looked at the statistic and like where I had gotten in and she said, no, it, it looks like the way they phrased it. It looks like that is for people who go for TOLAC and get their VBAC. And I was like, that is an insane statistic that I, I don't want to be a part of that. She recommended there were two other hospitals who had better statistics, but th but the better statistics were one was like twenty eight percent, and and that was closer, and one that was in in Seattle that was like fifty four percent, and that was like the highest it gets. I called that hospital up. They you couldn't get a midwife because at that point I was like thirty two weeks or something. Mm -hmm. So, so I could go and just have an OBGYN and, and you're still, you know, kind of probably in a better spot because you're probably going with a place that has better policies, but it still felt like, I don't know, I like the midwife care and also 54% yeah. still does not feel pretty good. You know, I know, I know when the overall success rate is, you know, is between 60 to 80 and upwards, you know, it, you're when you're getting lower these lower numbers you're like ah, i still don't love that that's 50 that's a half a chance you yeah. know yeah. yeah so i was like you know what i had reached out when i originally reached out to home birth midwives mm -hmm. there was one that looked really good but she said that i was outside of their kind of range zone. Mm -hmm. yeah their zone i learned that my doula had worked with them in the past 
And I said, why don't I reach out to them again? Like my doula has an in with them. Like I felt like my doula was the key. Like she Uh knew everybody. She like, maybe, maybe things are different. Maybe like they don't have enough people for around that due date. Sure enough, they were, I don't know if it was the fact that they just didn't have anybody for that time or they knew my doula and, and felt good about it, but they said yes. So I interviewed them and I felt much better about home birth with them. Like it, it didn't feel like now there are more policies. It felt like, you know, she, she knew what she was talking about. She talked about dehiscences, which I hadn't even known about before then somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I felt really like emotionally safe with her, you know? And, And I think that's something that people don't talk about, but one of, one of the reasons I, I chose my doula was I I felt very comfortable crying with her. Mm. Like I'm a crier. I cry a lot. And there are times when I'm around people and I cry and it feels like blocked and Mm. like shameful almost. And like, it just Mm. feels bad. And there are are people when I cry around them that it feels cathartic. Um, Mm -hmm. So I felt like, yeah, let's do it. My husband was not like on board with home birth at first, but he was like, you know, your emotional health is really important too, you know? I love that he recognized that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had been there during the postpartum for the first one and and witnessed firsthand. So he really knew, but yeah, so we went and, uh, but no, actually I, I skipped the dual care part. I was, I still, I liked her, but I still felt really like, I don't know, home birth. This is not me. And I was looking around on your website, you know, like the blogs or whatever. And I came across mm-hmm. the term dual care and I had never heard about that before. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. it suddenly home birth felt comfortable to me with the idea of dual care that like, if something mm-hmm. happens, you just transfer to your regular doctor. Dude, yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, the home birth midwife was on board. I went to my, it turned out to be last appointment with the midwives at the hospital. And it sounded like they were giving tacit acceptance. They were like, we can't do that because health insurance is not going to cover two, two um, appointments. But, you know, we can't turn anybody away. And technically, if you don't tell us you're transferring care, you're still our patient. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like this was like faux dual care that I would just go to my home birth appointments. I was already like 34 weeks at that point. Mm -hmm. It sounded like I was just going to be able to do it. So what I did was I I would call them after hours to reschedule my my appointment with the hospital midwives. But then when they called me back to reschedule, I would not pick up. And so then it just would never get rescheduled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it went like that. The the appointments were were great. When I missed my 39-week appointment with the hospital midwives, I had like three messages from them. And this time, two of them were from one of the midwives. It wasn't just the receptionist. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel really, it was like, we know what's going on. <laughs> we're like, they were like, the jig is up. Um, and I I was like, ah. I started to feel really guilty about it and just Mm -hmm. uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with like lying. I was essentially lying. Right. And I talked to my doula about it. I had like, it was, 
I had a really long nap and I was supposed to call her during then, but I called after the nap and we decided that I was just going to fully transfer care. It just felt better than lying. And the next day I would call the next day, which is Monday, but oops, no, the next day is labor day. So I, we won't call then we'll call on Tuesday, but I did not get a chance because at 3 15 AM I started to, I woke up with a little wetness and um, I was like, that is not my water breaking because with my first, it was a very dramatic movie like yeah. gush. And I went to the bathroom and I smelled it and it was not pee, but I was like, no, it was probably really diluted pee. This is not, this is not my water breaking. Mm. This is not it. Nope, nope, nope. Mm -hmm. And then I lost some mucus plug and I, and I was like, okay, yes, that was mucus plug because in my first, it was like two days later that I went. Right. Yeah. So I was like, that was a more comfortable timeline for me. My daughter was like starting her, her like new class at school, like the next day on Tuesday, I was like, this is no, it's not happening now. And I, I just kept saying, no, I just have to poop. This is this, this cramping is because I have to poop. I, I haven't pooped in like two days. It, yeah, it's this. And my husband was like, maybe I should call the doula. And I was like, no, it's the middle of the night. Ooh, you can text her, but it, you don't need not to call. It. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing. I was in such denial because had I not been, I would have suspected a posterior baby. But because I was in denial, I was like, no, just no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and things started to pick up. And, you know, eventually we did call the duel. I did the mile circuit and I, I, it was like too intense already. When the duel came, it was like, you know, when a horse is whinnying or going like, <laughs> yeah, and they're like really anxious about something or panicked and and the and the you know whoever is helping the horse is like whoa whoa yeah. and like calms the horse down that is what my doula did like <laughs> like everything just sort of like took it down a notch everything was much calmer we had uh the we started filling up the birth tub mm -hmm. um but like it, things were getting really intense really quickly the midwife arrived and she asked if I want, if I wanted to be checked. And I said, yes. And I was already at eight. And so I, I was very Yay. glad that was, you know, felt good. Um, I'm fat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got in the tub, but, but like in the tub, it felt like I couldn't hang into onto anything. And it was like hard to, you know, get a hold on anything. I, I learned after the fact that I started pushing there, but I, they kept saying, I, I was kind of like roaring, but they kept saying that you're wasting your energy up and you need to send that energy down. Down. So you're and bringing was, it up, but yes. not sinking into it. Yes. And I was sort of like, what does that mean? Like I was told like roaring is good, you know, but I learned that they were right. That like, uh, it, it, it's not so much that I was sending it up. It's that I was shying away from down there. I was like, no, everything uh -huh. is, is crazy yeah. down there. And so they said, why don't you come? We'll do some directed pushing. And at that point I was like, no, because that that's what happened in, in the first yeah, trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And my doula was like, no, 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 don't worry. You're already much farther than you were with your first one. This is a different birth. 
I had like affirmations up on the walls everywhere. She reminded me of one of them. So anyway, we started to do it and it was clear that on my back, I was able to push better. Now, this goes against everything I had been taught about pushing and that like people talk about pelvic dynamics and everything, but I had been getting uh, pelvic floor therapy and my thing with that was releasing that I, I needed to release. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever she did the internal release, I was on my back with my knees out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was the position where i was doing my most effective pushing because i had inadvertently trained my body that this is the position in which you release and that's how what you need to do to push so just for any of you who are getting pelvic floor therapy getting internal releases try to do it maybe in a position where you want to push but after a while, like the assistant midwife was like, do you want to try knees together? And I was like, oh, knees together. I know what that means. That means it's like late, you know, but still even knees together. It just wasn't as was good as knees apart, like something about it with my knees apart on my back is it was where I had the power to push. And so I felt the baby's head at one point I was pushing and, and it was like, it was getting there. It was taking a long time, um, but it was getting there. And the assistant midwife started taking heart rate uh, of the baby with Doppler. The Doppler, yes. Mm-hmm. And I sort of clocked that the it was kind of varying widely. And she told me after the fact that it was totally normal. She was not worried, but I was sort of like clocking that. And I was like, this should be over soon. And I asked my midwife, I was like, can this be the last one? As if she had the power to grant that to me. (laughs) And she was sort of like, maybe. (laughs) And I was like thinking to myself, yes, it has to be. And so I did it. Like, I just like, this has to be the last one. And I, I pushed and he came out, like the head came out. I felt either the ring of fire or tearing. And he came out. And they, and they said like, now wait before the rest, let's Mm -hmm. like sort of, she sort of like told me to breathe like, or or something. She she told me after the fact she was, yeah, she was worried after the fact of, she was worried that there would be shoulder dystocia, Hmm. but there wasn't. He came out just like, (laughs) like very easy after the head. And he was just immediately on my chest. He was just immediately on my chest. Hmm. And I, I kept saying, you're here. Like the, my, my feeling, I had the hormone cocktail that I wanted, you know, it Mm -hmm. it was so serene and beautiful and, you know, just everything I, everything I had hoped for. And we had that totally interrupted golden hour, totally interrupted. Mm -hmm. It was, it was 10 20 in the morning at that point. It was, it was the day before school started. So you could hear kids playing outside it was just, and it was really golden. Like the sun was coming through the window. It, it was so beautiful. And then I was like, huh, your head is very oddly shaped. And they were like, yeah, he was posterior and asynclitic. Exactly like my first, but, but totally because of a different location and a different support team. It's like, you know, they always say, location your team are so important but 
they're really, really so important. And crucial. And not not only that, but he weighed the exact same amount. They were both eight pounds for Really? Yes. Yeah. So on your op reports, have you seen them? What were your what was your exact like diagnosis of why you had a C-section? Was it it was failure, failure to progress? To yeah. Progress. Okay, yeah. that's what I was figuring. That's okay. what, but it was really like failure to descend because like the thing was like yeah. she was How never really down far enough. Yeah, yeah, and you made it to ten centimeters. Oh yeah, I was at ten centimeters for yeah. a long time. Yeah, so it wasn't failure to progress. Yeah, so failure to descend due to a less ideal position yeah. which may be the way your babies need to come through your pelvis maybe <laughs> right sometimes sometimes babies have to come through in a less ideal or a wonky a less typical position you know to get yeah. out i i truly believe after knowing what i know now that all my babies had to come through my pelvis posterior <laughs> <laughs> like every single one i thought i was gonna have a baby the other direction because I have all the contraction pain, right? And like, like I would just love to feel an anterior baby and just compare because it seems like it must be so too. much easier. I'm with <laughs> you. I am with you. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. Posterior. Yeah. It definitely, definitely a little bit different, but you had a C-section for position, but then you turned around and had the same position, same pounds, everything yep. and did it actually. Yep. Yep. Oh. And not only that, he also had a tongue and lip tie, but he did latch. Um hey, after that like first nap. And I also want to just give another shout out to home birth because my assistant midwife, she was six months postpartum and she knew about our like previous difficulty with breastfeeding. And so she had her pump in her car and she said, Would you like me to pump a few ounces for you? And I was like, uh, yeah. And so she just left. She just found a jar in my kitchen, a clean glass jar, and pumped two ounces in there and left it in our fridge for us. And it's like, oh that just gosh. can't happen at a hospital birth. And, you know, kindnesses like that mean, I mean, it's all, obviously a kindness means a lot to you. But in those right. first postpartum times, it's just, it means it's just amplified. You know, I'll always remember that. And yeah, I was just, I had all the support I needed and more. And I, I hope, I really hope everybody who wants this has, has it like me. It's, it's very fitting that this is going to come out just before Thanksgiving because I, I feel very, very fortunate. Thankful. Yeah. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm all teary eyes and nose and I've got the chills. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Thank you. So thank happy you. for you. Huge yes. congrats. And thank, thank you, you so much for sharing this story with us today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I hope everybody, I, I hope somebody has something that they take from it. I feel like there's so many random bits and bobs that that could be helpful. Absolutely. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.